0: We come to uh, this portion of Scripture this morning in 1 Samuel chapter number 20. We'll begin reading in verse number 1. And David fled from Nioth in Ramah, and he came and said before Jonathan, What have I done? What is mine iniquity? And what is my sin before thy father, that he seeketh my life? And he said unto him, God forbid thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing. "'either great or small, but that he will show it me. "'And why should my father hide this thing from me? "'It is not so. "'And David sware moreover and said, "'Thy father certainly knoweth "'that I have found grace in thine eyes. "'And he saith, "'Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved, "'but truly, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, "'there is but a step between me and death.' Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. And David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with thy, with the king at meat, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field unto the third day at even. If thy father at all missed me, then say David earnestly asked, Leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, slay me thyself why shouldest thou bring me to thy father and jonathan said far be it from thee for if i knew certainly that evil were determined by my father to come upon thee then would not i tell it thee then said david to jonathan who shall tell me or what if thy father answer thee roughly and jonathan said unto david come and let us go out into the field and they went out both of them into the field and Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow at any time or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then send not unto thee, and showeth thee the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. but if it please my Father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away that thou mayest go in peace. And the Lord be with thee as he hath been with my father. And thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David, every one from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, let the Lord even require it at the hand of David's enemies. And Jonathan calls David to swear again because he loved him, for he loved him as he loved his own soul. I want you to note the phrase that we find in verse number 8, as David says to Jonathan, therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant. And then he reminds him why he has asked him to deal kindly. For thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee. Then we come to verse fourteen, and we see now that it is Jonathan who is making request. And Jonathan says in verse fourteen, "Thou shalt not only while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not, but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever." I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. Deal kindly with thy servant deal kindly with thy servant let's pray together father thank you for this opportunity to come together to come into your presence that we might be lifted above this earth seated together with christ in heavenly places so that you might speak to us today through your word i pray for those who are here who may be discouraged who may be dealing with great trial and affliction that today you would encourage their hearts. I pray for those, Lord Jesus, who do not know you as Savior. They have not entered into this covenant relationship with you, that today they would uh, come to the knowledge of their condition, that they need Christ, and that they would come to you. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would empower me and enable me to communicate the truth of your word, and I pray that you would help us to resolve in our hearts to be obedient to you. We ask this in Jesus' name amen. David is appealing here to Jonathan to deal kindly with him on the basis of the fact that he and Jonathan have entered into a covenant relationship. This covenant was established in 1 Kings chapter number 18. After David had slain the giant, Jonathan entered into this covenant with David. I would encourage you to look at these verses in in 1 Samuel chapter number 18 just as a reminder beginning in verse 1, and it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Excuse me. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him, And gave it to David and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle here we find the establishment of this covenant between Jonathan and David it was a covenant that began in Jonathan's heart as a result of David's act of faith and obedience in facing the giant Uh, this victory that David wrought over the giant of course was what the Lord used to deliver Israel from the Philistines. And Jonathan, who had a faithful spirit and believed God and had exhibited that in his own personal life in fighting the Philistines, was moved in his heart by the faith of David, his newfound friend. And so Jonathan makes a covenant. Now, oftentimes as we think about this, In the light of our current day, we have lost the significance of what this meant as far as this covenant. It was more than just the establishment of of a friendship. It was far greater than that. A covenant in the um, culture of the day was an unbreakable commitment of one man to another. No one who entered into a covenant with another person would enter into that covenant lightly because of the implication of that covenant. Uh, when one would enter into a covenant with another, uh, first of all, he would remove his coat. We saw that Jonathan removed his, his robe. He would remove his coat and give it to the other person, which symbolized that the possessions of one now belong to the other. In other words, there is a commonality in this covenant saying that what is mine is yours. Number two, once that person had removed the robe, he would also oftentimes take his weapon and give his weapon, a sword, a spear, a bow, uh, to his friend. This symbolized that the power that this man possessed would now be shared with the person he was entering into the covenant with. Finally, he would take a sharp knife and make an incision upon the wrist. The word covenant in our Bible means cutting. And so those entering into the covenant would signify their covenant relationship by making a cut upon their wrist, then joining their hands and arms together allowing the blood from the cuts to mingle, thus signifying that the two had become one in person. And so having been made one in person in a covenant relationship meant that you were looking out for that person. Your possessions were their possessions, and you would protect their possession, that your sword would be moved on their behalf, Before the days of law enforcement and civil government and militia to protect and defend us, many uh, of these ancient tribes would enter into these covenants as a matter of protection and preservation. Oftentimes when someone would seek, a group of marauders perhaps would seek to attack a man and his family, all that man would have to do is to raise his wrist and to demonstrate the cuts upon it to signify that he had entered into a covenant relationship with another. And if you attack him, you're going to face the wrath of those that had entered into this covenant relationship. We find here that once people enter into this covenant relationship, they relate to one another in, in, in a great way, their relationship, their bond to one another is, is deeper than blood relationship. It, it's more than uh, the family relationship. It is, it is one that is united by this phrase and this idea, loving kindness, loving kindness. To relate to one another in loving kindness means that we would faithfully discharge to one another the deeds and the responsibilities of the covenant no matter what it may cost or no matter how one would feel about it. It is an oath that says I am bound to you by an attitude called or referred to as loving kindness. I will always show loving kindness to you and to yours. And here we find David in the midst of this Dreadful episode where he's running from his life and he comes to Jonathan and what does he ask Jonathan to do? He asks Jonathan to execute the commitment he had made to him when they made the covenant. He's asking him to deal kindly with him. And then we find Jonathan later on asking David, wait a minute, I need you to deal kindly with me. David would know much of this loving kindness of the Lord as well. In Psalm 63 and verse 3, David wrote these words, Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. In Psalm 40 and verse number 11, he said, Withhold not thy tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let thy loving kindness and thy truth continually preserve me. You see, those of us who know the Lord Jesus as our Savior, we have entered into a covenant relationship with him. On the cross of Calvary, his hands were pierced. His side was pierced. His feet were pierced. He shed his blood for you and I. The blood of God and the blood of man mingled at the foot of the cross. Because of his sacrifice, we who know him and who have received him by faith have entered into a covenant with him, and our relationship to him is one of loving kindness. We are the recipients of the loving kindness of the Lord. I want you to note five things we learned in this chapter or that we'll see in this chapter. Let me give them to you, and then we'll have to move quickly through them. Number one, we'll see the problem. Number two, we'll see the petition. Number three, we see the pledge. Then fourthly, we'll see the plan. And then finally, we'll see the place. Let's look at them one by one. First of all, we'll begin with the problem. The problem Notice it again in verse 1, and David fled from Nioth and Ramah and came and said before Jonathan, what have I done and what is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life? Now remember, Saul had pursued David to Nioth and Ramah. In chapter number 19, Saul begins the chapter by publicly declaring that he wants David dead. Jonathan, his son, who has made this covenant with David, goes to his father and said, why in the world would you do such a thing? David has been good to you. He's done nothing wrong. Why in the world would you seek to kill him? He reasons with his father. His father responds in chapter number 19 and said, as surely as the Lord liveth, David will live. But then we find him in just a few verses with his javelin in his hand again trying to kill David. Then we find him sending his men outside of David's house in the night, waiting on David to take him and kill him in the morning. We know that Michael, David's wife, who was also Saul's daughter and Jonathan's sister, she, she saw what was, uh, what was unfolding. She knew what was transpiring. She warned David and sent him out of the house. Then we know that David went to Nioth with the prophet Saul sent messengers to take David until finally he himself had to go and he was rendered helpless under the power of the Spirit of God. And so now David comes here in chapter number 20 and he returns into the presence of Jonathan and he comes with a problem and that problem is your father is trying to kill me. And he wants what you and I would want if we were in David's shoes, an explanation what have I done what is mine iniquity and what is my sin before thy father that he seeketh my life but notice here that Jonathan does not answer the question because he doesn't even realize that his father is continuing to try to kill David Look at verse 2, and he said unto him, God forbid, thou shalt not die. Behold, my father will do nothing, either great or small, but that he will show it me. And why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. But it was so. Because after he had talked with his son and said, I won't kill David, Three more attempts were made by Saul on David's life. It is obvious then to us that Jonathan did not know anything about it. But it wasn't obvious at this point to David. Verse 3, and David swore moreover and said, Thy father certainly knoweth that I have found grace in thine eyes. And he saith, Let not Jonathan know this, lest he be grieved, but truly as the Lord liveth, as thy soul liveth, there is but a step between me and death. He said, Jonathan, you don't understand what's going on. Your father's trying to kill me, and this is an urgent situation. I'm one step away from death. You see, David wanted answers, but none was given. You know, there are times in our lives when those who know the Lord and follow him are compelled to learn, to live without answers, especially when it comes to adversity and suffering. Can you think of anyone who was compelled to do so? How about Job? Does he come to your mind? Job was a, as the Bible refers to him, a perfect man, meaning a righteous man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil, and yet... Satan was able to touch him and to destroy all of his possessions, to take the lives of his children. And throughout the book of Job, Job is asking the question, why? Looking for the answer that never came, only to hear his friends who thought they had the answer explain to him that it was because of some sin in his life that God had allowed this to happen. You see, there are times in our lives when we are called upon to not live or rather to live in the absence of answers. Maybe today you find yourself in a difficult situation and you don't understand it. Let me just tell you, you're not alone. And if you follow the Lord, you will be called upon to live through and endure many of those situations. Now, I want you to think about David here. He is afraid, is he not? There's but a step between me and death. Not only is he confused, but he's exhausted. And why is he exhausted? Well, he's exhausted from the trials. He's exhausted from the stress. He's exhausted from the physical exertion of fleeing for his life. I would imagine that very few people, if any at all, in this room who've had to flee for their lives. But David fled for his life every day. And by the way, this would only be the beginning for him. And he's gripped with fear. Now, what will become the answer to his fear? It won't be a reasonable explanation. It will only be that he must learn to trust God. In fact, we have an entire book teaching us how he learned to trust him. It's called the book of the Psalms. And when you and I deal with trials, when we deal with difficulties, we learn to trust God by looking into the pages of God's Word and and re-embracing yet again in the midst of our difficulty the promises of God. You see, faith is the answer to fear, and God is going to teach David that. God is going to teach David to trust him no matter what the circumstance You see, David was the anointed king, but it certainly didn't look like he was ever going to assume the throne, did he? I mean, Saul, the most powerful man in Israel, is trying to kill him, and he's got an army behind him to do so. What does David have? Nothing. That may be what he thought at the moment, but David had something that Saul didn't. Do you know what that was? That was the Lord. The Lord was on his side, and most importantly, he was on the Lord's side. And God is going to teach David to trust him in the face of difficult circumstances. Why is it that you're dealing with what you're dealing with? What is it that God wants to do in your life? He wants you to learn to trust him. Think of the the countless wasted moments of your time that you have spent consumed walking through all the scenarios and what ifs of difficulties instead of just learning to rest in the goodness of, Of God David is going to learn this not only then was David's trust in the Lord tested but so too was his trust in his friendship with Jonathan because David is thinking wait a minute you told me everything was going to be fine and now your father's trying to kill me and when we go through difficulties oftentimes we we have a tendency to lose faith in the goodness of God to begin to question to begin to doubt is God really being good to me why is he letting me go through this difficult situation and then we also begin to question and doubt the people of God well if they really cared about me if they really loved me would they not come to my aid would they not express to me their concern and no doubt this is what David is dealing with here And so we see the problem. Then secondly, we see the petition. Notice it, if you would, please, beginning in verse 4. Then said Jonathan unto David, Whatsoever thy soul desireth, I will even do it for thee. Now Jonathan, again, he had no idea. For some reason, I don't know exactly how Saul was able to manage it, but Jonathan had no idea that his father was continuing to try to kill David. But now once he's learned it, What does he do? He responds to David. What is it that you need? I'll do whatever you need. You've heard the old expression, a friend in need is a friend indeed, right? Well, here Jonathan has a friend in need. And Jonathan exhibits and demonstrates that he is a friend indeed. Notice in verse 5, and David said unto Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon and I should not fail to sit with the king at meat, but let me go that I, may, that I may hide myself in the field under the third day at even. If thy father at all miss me, then say, David earnestly asks leave of me that he might run to Bethlehem, his city, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all the family. If he say thus, it is well, thy servant shall have peace. But if he be very wroth, if he's really mad about it, then be sure that evil is determined by him. Therefore thou shalt deal kindly with thy servant, for thou hast brought thy servant into a covenant of the Lord with thee, notwithstanding, if there be in me iniquity, in other words, if I have done anything to deserve this, uh, this uh, pursuit of Saul, this threat upon my life, then slay me thyself, for why shouldest thou bring me to thy father? You see, having heard that Jonathan was willing to help David, ask him here in these verses for three things. Number one, he says, let me go. Give me leave. Now, there was, a, there was a meal, there was a celebration, a ceremony to take place in the presence of Saul, as verse 5 tells us. Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I should not fail to sit with a king at meat. Who was David? He was the king's son-in-law. He was the king's servant. He was one of the king's soldiers. In fact, he was the leader of the king's army. So he had a place at the table of Saul. And here was an important date, a ceremony that was to take place, and it would be expected that David would be there. But now he's asking Jonathan, give me the permission to get away. Then he says to him, cover for me. He said I'm gonna go hide in the field and if your father misses me in verse 6 tell him that I asked leave so I could go to a sacrifice with my family in other words make this story up tell your father something that's not true cover for me and we'll know by his response whether he wants to kill me or not if he's okay with it if he's fine with it then we'll understand that I can return, and he's going to be okay with me. If he's angry about it, then we'll know that he still wants me dead. So he says, here's my petition. Let me go. Cover for me. And then number three, deal kindly with thy servant. It, this speaks, this this phrase, deal kindly, it speaks of the desire for mercy. To be shown to one who is in need, to one who has no power to help himself. And so he asked Jonathan to deal kindly with him. You see, there was a time in my life when I was under the threat of death, I was under the rule of death. Sin working in my body resulted in my imminent death. And as the psalmist, I was just one step away from death, not just physical death but everlasting death in an awful place called hell, a place of torment, a place of separation, a place of no hope, a place of utter darkness where there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth, just one step away. And by the way, all of us are just, one step away. I had no one or no power to deliver me from that death until I met Jesus, the Son of God, who came to this earth and lived a perfect sinless life and went to the cross and shed his blood for me. And when I, by faith, received him, I entered into a covenant with him. I am a recipient of the loving kindness of God and I can come to him with my petition and ask him, Lord, would you deal kindly with me? And I can know this, that he always deals kindly with me. You say, well, my home's about to break up. My marriage is about to break up. My business is is about to fall apart. My my boss will not get off my back. And I've got this diagnosis uh, of physical health, and and I'm dealing with strife in my home and my family. And, and in the midst of it all, what do I learn? I learn that God always deals kindly with me. I've entered into a covenant with him have you? I trust that you have. We see thirdly here the pledge, David's petition, his plea, deal kindly with me. Jonathan says, absolutely, I'll deal kindly with you. We see this pledge in the form of Jonathan's response, and then we'll see it in Jonathan's request. Let's note, first of all, Jonathan's response. Verse 9, and Jonathan said, far be it From from thee, for if I knew certainly that evil returned by my father to come upon thee, then would I, then would not I tell it thee? In other words, if I knew that my father was going to do this to you, you can know one thing for sure: I would have told you. So he speaks here to reassure David of his fidelity to him. You know there are times in our lives when we begin to doubt the goodness of God and His fidelity to us. And when we enter into his word and we hear his voice, he clears all that up. He dispels all that doubt in our hearts. In verse 10, then said David to Jonathan, who shall tell me? Or what if thy father answer thee roughly? And Jonathan said unto David, come and let us go out into the field. And they went out, both of them into the field. So Jonathan now has taken David aside. They've gone out privately where they cannot be heard, and they've gone into a field. Verse 12, and Jonathan said unto David, O Lord God of Israel, when I have sounded my father about tomorrow, any time, or the third day, and behold, if there be good toward David, and I then sin not unto thee and show it thee, the Lord do so, and much more to Jonathan. But if it please my father to do thee evil, then I will show it thee and send thee away, that thou mayest go in peace and that the Lord be with thee, as he hath been with my father. Jonathan, as he takes David aside, he says, David, it's just me and you, and by the way, the Lord is here. I want this conversation to be between me and you and the Lord. This covenant is established by God. It is God who has brought us together. He is in the center of our relationship." And what has Jonathan placed, what position has he been placed into in this situation? He's been placed into a position where he must make a choice to place his loyalty with the anointed king, David, or with the abandoned king, Saul. Am I going to be loyal to my father, who is the king, or am I going to be loyal to my friend, David, who is the anointed of the Lord. Really, here comes, the question boils down to this. Am I going to be loyal to this world and its affections, or am I going to be loyal to Christ? That's a question you and I have to answer, is it not? You see, for Jonathan to declare his loyalty to David, he had to cast aside his loyalty to his family, his loyalty to his own political aspirations and to his personal goals. You see, he was going to give up his right to the throne. Remember now, Jonathan is the son of the king. Who becomes the king when the king dies? The son of the king. So Jonathan is saying, wait a minute, I recognize something here. I recognize that God is doing a work, that God has anointed David as the king. I'm saying that God is in charge of this situation, not my father, not me, but the Lord. And the Lord has placed his hand on David, and I want to be a part of what God is doing. So I'm willing to walk away from my family if that's what it costs me. I'm willing to walk away from the potential for me to be the king if that's what it costs me. I'm I'm willing to walk away from the wealth and and the position and the power. I'm willing to do what I need to do because I want to honor God. Are you willing to do that? Some of us can't take a little criticism and endure. We don't want somebody to call us a name. We're ashamed to be identified with Jesus, but Jonathan is willing to do it in a public way. And then Jonathan makes a request. He responds to David. He said, "My loyalty is with you." And then he makes a request. Notice in verse fourteen. And thou shalt not only while while yet I live show me the kindness of the Lord that I die not. Now, who's the one concerned about dying here? Was it not David who was concerned about dying? There's but a step between me and death. Your father's trying to kill me. David's life is in jeopardy. Jonathan is the son of the king. He's safe. But notice what Jonathan recognizes. He recognizes that really and truly the enemies of God are the ones in jeopardy. And his father has now become an enemy of David and he says I don't want to die the one that David is asking for security is now asking David for security verse 14 verse 15 but also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house forever no not when the Lord hath cut off the enemies of David everyone from the face of the earth Jonathan knew that Saul's days were numbered and all who opposed David would end. He knew this. So he makes a covenant with David. And notice what he says in this covenant, verse 15 again. But also thou shalt not cut off thy kindness from my house. How long? Forever. Jonathan makes a statement here This is David, forever your kingdom will be established. By the way, the Lord confirmed that to David, that his kingdom would be established forever. And Jonathan's saying, forever be good to my family. Take care of my children and my offspring because I have entered into this covenant with you and so in verse 16 the bible said jonathan made a covenant with the house of david saying let the lord even require it at the hand of david's enemy verse 17 and jonathan caused david uh, to swear again because he loved him for he loved him as he loved his own soul what was the secret of his loyalty it was his love jonathan was loyal to david because he loved david If we're going to be loyal to Christ, it is only because we love him. And by the way, he has been loyal to us because he loves us with an everlasting love. When he hung upon the cross and they said, come down from the cross if you're the son of God. When they said to him, "Uh, you saved others, you cannot save yourself. If you could, you would come down while they spit in his face. While they ridiculed him, while they hurled every insult and every injurious word that they could possibly utter, every abominable thing that could come out of their mouth came out at him, the Bible said that he endured the cross and despise the shame, and why did he do so? For the joy that was set before him, and that joy was the fact that you and I would come to know him, that we would enter into this covenant relationship with him, that we would experience his great and eternal love. Thanks be unto God that we've entered into this covenant with him, and that's his pledge to us, and it ought to be our pledge to him that we're gonna love him we see fourthly the plan in verse 18 then Jonathan said to David tomorrow is the new moon and thou shalt be missed because thy seat will be empty and when thou hast stayed three days then thou shalt go down quickly and come to the place without it. hide thyself even when the business was in hand and shalt remain by the stone so he gives him a time and a place wait three days meet me here then he says I'm gonna give you a signal Verse 20, I will shoot three arrows on the side thereof, as though I shot at a mark. And Behold, I will send a lad, saying, Go find out the arrows. If I expressly say unto the lad, Behold, the arrows are on this side of thee, take them, then come thou, for there is peace to thee, and no hurt, as the Lord liveth. But if I say thus unto the young man, Behold, the arrows are beyond thee, go thy way, for the Lord has sent thee away. So he gives him a signal. He said, watch where the arrows fall and listen to what I say. And depending on what I say, you're going to know if it's okay to return or if you need to go. You say, well, why did he go through such an elaborate scheme? Because he was trying to keep the thing unknown to anyone except for him and David. So there's the time and place, there's a signal, and then there's a seal in this plan. Notice in verse 23 and it's touching the matter which thou and I have spoken of. Behold, the Lord be between thee and me forever. God is witness in all of this, He's in control. That was the plan. Let's trust God and let's see what happens. So, what happened? That brings us to verse 24, and the fifth thing I want to mention to you, and that is the place, the place. So David hid himself in the field, and when the new moon was come, the king set him down to eat meat. And the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, even upon a seat by the wall, and Jonathan arose, and Abner sat by Saul's side, and David's place was empty. Nevertheless, Saul spoke not anything that day, for he thought something had befallen him that is David, and he is not clean. Surely, in his mind, Saul is saying he's not clean. What does he mean by this? It means that perhaps he thought that David had encountered something that had made him unclean in a ceremonial way. Therefore, he was not able to practice this ritual of this gathering of the new moon, this Sabbath, whatever it may have been. And so really he just dispelled it in his mind that David wasn't there on day one. Verse 27, and it came to pass on the morrow, which was the second day of the month, that David's place was empty. And Saul said unto Jonathan, wherefore cometh not the son of Jesse to meet neither yesterday nor today? And Jonathan answered him, answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. And he said, let me go, I pray thee, For our family hath a sacrifice in the city, and my brother he hath commanded me to be there. And now, if I have found favor in thine eyes, let me get away. I pray thee, and see my brethren. Therefore he cometh not unto the king's table. Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said unto him, Thou son of the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion? and under the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. When he finds out that Jonathan has let him go, what does he do? He attacks Jonathan. How does he do so? He attacks Jonathan's mother, Saul's wife. I don't know how many wives Saul had. Maybe she was the only one. But what does he do? He attacks her. He said, You're the son of a perverse woman. The reason you're doing this is because of your mother. And then he says, Don't you understand? As long as David, the boy you made this covenant with, Saul, most likely not realizing it or not considering it, says, As long as he's alive, your hope to be the king is gone, it's eliminated. I'm going to kill him. Verse 32, and Jonathan answered Saul his father and said to him, wherefore shall he be slain, and what hath he done? And Saul cast a javelin at him, that's at his son, Jonathan, to smite him, whereby Jonathan knew that it was determined of his father to slay David. So now what Jonathan had, had not really experienced himself, the reality of his father's uh, decline and his father's uh, pursuit to destroy David had now hit home in Jonathan's life, and Saul throws the javelin at him. Verse 34, so Jonathan arose, from the table in fierce anger and did eat no meat the second day of the month for he was grieved for David because his father had done him shame. Do you know Jonathan arose from that table and this is what he understood. He understood that he no longer held a place in Saul's kingdom, but that he had a place in David's. You know who the God of this world is? It's the devil. And he doesn't doesn't care about you. He wants to destroy your life. And I'm praying that God will bring you to a recognition of that. And a recognition that your hope is not in this life. Your hope is only in the life to come. Your hope is not in the God of this world. Your hope is in the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And Jonathan arose that day. And he left his place. Remember, we're talking about the place. Now we began looking at this in verse 24, and we noted that David's place was empty. Now we see that Jonathan leaves his place. Jesus said in Luke 14, let me read this to you. Luke chapter 14. Jesus said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren, sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, we read that verse, and that's a tough verse to understand, isn't it? You mean I have, if I'm going to love Jesus, I've got to hate my brother, my father, my mother, i got to hate my family? Now, look, here's what we know. We know that Jonathan loved his dad. We know that. But Jonathan, when confronted with a choice to make, did not allow his love for his dad in any way to supersede his love For David and if we're gonna follow Jesus and our family is not gonna support that and our friends are not gonna support that though we love them and though we care about what they think if we love the Lord Jesus we are willing to turn from them and to him do you know there are people in this world who have put their faith in Christ and they've been disowned by their families They've walked into the baptismal waters and they've done so recognizing they were giving up their inheritance. They were giving up their family associations. In fact, many of them across the world have been regarded as dead by their own family members. And here's what Jonathan is doing he's saying goodbye to the position of being the prince, and hello to being a servant of David. Have you come to the place where you said, I'm not in charge of my life, the devil's not going to run my life, I'm putting my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. Have you come to him and placed yourself under his authority and in his kingdom? Well, in verse 35, we see that David came, he shot the arrows He said what he needed to say, and it was obvious to David that he was not to return back to the palace. Now, I want you to think about it. David was anointed to be the king. I'm sure there was excitement there that day when uh, Samuel showed up. I'm sure it pleased him in his heart. I, I imagine it was overwhelming to him, this shepherd boy, that God had selected him to be the king. And then he went and fought the battle and delivered the nation from the Philistines by slaying the giant. And then he had the privilege of all privileges to sit at Saul's table, to serve Saul, to be Saul's son-in-law. And his motive was sincere. His, His motives were pure, He was thrilled to be there because there he would receive what he needed to receive to one day learn to be the king. He had a place at Saul's table, but that place was not to be his place because instead of being there for the remaining years of Saul's life, he's going to be in the field and in the caves running. But he's going to learn an important lesson there. And I'll close with this, Psalm 23 and verse 5. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David longed to be at Saul's table but he had no place there. It hurt him. I think it scarred him. But what did God teach him? Don't worry about Saul's table. I've got a table. It wasn't the table of the king. It was the table of the good shepherd. It was a table that he prepared for David in the presence of Of his enemies. You know, we live this life in the presence of the enemies of God. And we deal with afflictions and we deal with trials and we deal with disappointment. But we who know God have entered into a covenant with him. We have staked our future on him. We are recipients of his blessings and his eternal kingdom. But though we live this life in trial and affliction, God has promised that he has prepared for us a table and we can dine from it every day no matter where you are no matter what you're dealing with i invite you to the lord's table jesus said behold i stand at the door and knock if any man will open i will come in and sup with him and he with me Thank you for listening to this message from Tabernacle Baptist Church. We pray that God has used his word to speak to your heart today. If you'd like to learn more about the ministries of Tabernacle Baptist Church, you can go to our website, tabernaclehickory.org.